All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity to gather together as your children. We humbly come before you and your word. We ask that you fill us with your spirit, guide us, open our hearts and our minds to see your perspective on things. Father, that's really all we want. We know your perspective is what will set us free. Again, make us more and more humble to be open so that you can bless us spiritually in so many ways. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, all that he did in the cross, and his great example of love, selfless love. We ask that you bless this message, have your spirit guide us, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Giving the Gospel, Part 2. So something I wanted to share with you first before we um, start reviewing from Sunday, uh, something that kind of the Spirit just kind of put on my heart this morning, is that living for self is really so boring. And um, this is kind of a new perspective that's been coming with, in my own life, you know, as, as you experience going out and, um, you know, sharing the gospel and the different things we're doing. And if you remember, we went over the point, I don't know if it was last week, week before, but how you really don't, you really don't learn something until you do it. You could say you know something, but you really don't know it or understand it until you do it. And this is one of those things that he's been showing me that living for self is really so boring. And living for others is actually pretty exciting. It really is so uh, purposeful, meaningful, um, in whatever area that could be. Not necessarily directly going out and giving the gospel at a park, but whatever area you are led to live for others, it is so much more exciting and interesting. Um, and you only, I think, learn these, these things, really learn them from doing them. So that being said, I hope that's a little edifying and something to think about. This series on giving the gospel, again, I believe the Spirit has ordained this to encourage us so that we understand that to reach out with the good news is not supposed to be a difficult, complicated thing like we like to make it. And we talked about on Sunday how the faith of a child, even the faith of a child can go up to somebody and say, hey, do you know the good news? And share it out of love and, and with simplicity. And that's really all God is asked, asked after in us, is that heart, that childlike heart, to get out of the way, humble yourself. You're not all that you think you are. Humble yourself. Get out of the way and just obey and do it. Do the commission. And um, that's where freedom lies. So we're called just to plant seeds or water the seeds. And what could be simpler than that? Is God asking us to, you know, build a building that we don't know how to build? Is God asking us to convict somebody's heart? No. He's asking us to water things and leave it up to him. And therefore, again, it's even um, another example of the simplicity and the childlike faith that should be in sharing the gospel. And there are a variety of directions the Spirit might lead you into. He may even provide for you going out in twos 
in some way, shape, or form, which again the Lord ordained. And that makes it even more fun and eases any burden. You know, I mean, God does what he does for multiple reasons. He, I, I don't think he ever does something for one reason alone. I mean, th there's probably countless reasons for everything he does or everything he allows. And, you know, this is another thing, that going out in twos, there are a lot of benefits to that. But how about the fact that you have a partner? How about the fact that it's more fun? Um, how about the fact that it eases any burden you might be feeling, right? Maybe even takes your eyes off yourself. So look towards that. Like the gospel, giving the gospel should be fun, should be adventurous in a way. Um, and it's not supposed to be a project like we talked about on Sunday. It's who we are and it's what we love to do if we love Christ. We just... How can we not? How, how, do we, how have we been doing it? How have I been doing it for so many years? Holding back the good news, you know, that he saved me. And you think back to that zeal you had when you were first saved, right? Remember, remember that? Like that first, when you were first saved, you first realized the concept of even eternal security and that zeal you had the first year or two with the Lord. And you really were overzealous at times, maybe pushing people away. But that's the kind of um, thing we have to remember, that simple, pure joy and that reality that we're saved. And we can live in that reality every day with confidence. So on the board, uh, giving the gospel, this question came up on Sunday morning. Is there a greater gift we could ever give to others than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think of giving the gospel as giving. Don't think of it as whatever you think of it. I mean, change that perspective that you're giving a gift, you're offering a gift. Is there any greater gift than to share the good news about eternal life being a gift? What more could we give? And the Lord said himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we reap the benefits in so many ways. Remember, again, that someone gave to you at some point. As an extension of Christ, we have the opportunity to give to others, just as someone else in our own lives gave the gospel to us. Do you remember that? I'm sure you remember that fondly. Even if the person that helped you, you're not in touch with them anymore, but you're very grateful. And we have the opportunity to be that person for other people every day of our lives. Wow, I mean, what an awesome privilege. You know, and to have them look back on their relationship with us one day and say, wow, I'm so glad you opened your mouth. Or, I'm so glad you came out to the park. Or, I'm so glad you stepped out of your comfort zone and reached out to me when I was down. Because, you know, without you, I don't know where I'd be right now. And what a privilege just to be part of the Lord's work. It's obviously not you or me, but it's a simple privilege to be in the middle of what God's doing between himself and that person, right? He lets us be in the middle and lets us share in that wonderful joy. So God has designed life so that man reaps what he sows. We know that throughout the scriptures. God has designed life so that man reaps what he sows. Part of that includes reaping blessings when we obey. 
and this has been coming up now for a week or two. Just like you reap poorly when you sow poorly, right? You reap well when you sow well. And when you obey, in whatever category of, you know, whatever area of the Word of God it is, whatever area of life it is, when you obey the Word of God, you reap blessings. That's part of the way God designed life. So on the good news we talked about on Sunday, the good news is also that when we give the good news, it bears good fruit in our own lives and in our own hearts as believers obedient to his call. And again, this is in innumerable ways. You can't even articulate the ways that he affects your soul, you know? I mean, just think of when you gave someone the gospel or think of somebody that you know that became saved and you were somehow a part of it. So you, we, we can't even articulate the benefit to our own lives, our own hearts, the way he's changing us by doing, by obeying. So it's a fulfillment of God's very purpose for our lives as believers. Think of that word fulfillment. You literally become fulfilled instead of boringly living for self. <laughs> There's only so many things you can buy yourself, try to entertain yourself with, try to make yourself feel better with, right? It, it's almost like a, um, a challenge, a difficult challenge to, you know, please yourself because we're all implacable. And it's a boring and it's a, um, it's a dead-end road, right? We've all been there. So the other side of the coin is, is wonderful. If we obey the call, we're going to reap in a certain wonderful way, and part of that is fulfillment in our souls. So when we choose to live in it, giving the gospel, it will give us an inexpressible peace and joy when we are first obedient. When we are first obedient, then we discover his peace in that area. But not until then. That's how God set it up. And this also happens in degrees throughout our lives, right? We're not, you know, going to see it all as truth in one day. And there's different areas of our lives we're obedient, different areas of our lives we're not. But in those areas that you're obedient, if you pay attention, if you step back, you can probably see the fruit of it and the peace in your soul from being obedient. And now we're talking about a special joy, a special peace that comes from sharing the gospel, from giving someone else the good news, and even just the opportunity to be saved. Until we humbly obey the Great Commission, we'll be missing out on the peace that it brings. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive, and there's nothing greater in life that we could possibly enjoy giving. We've all given wonderful gifts at times to friends or family, and we get a great joy out of that when we know it's something they like or wanted for a long time. But it's no comparison to how much enjoyment we get out of giving someone the gospel and even seeing it received. Let's go again to Luke 14, verse 12, and look at the perspective the Lord taught us. And again, this wasn't directly about giving the gospel, but it was indirectly about giving the gospel. And I'm convinced more and more that um, loving people or, or extending yourself to love others is a form of giving the gospel. 
as long as they know you're doing it in Christ's name in some way. And the Lord, in Luke 14, he wasn't like, invite everybody in the house and give them the gospel and make them listen. He said, no, invite everybody in and feed them and take care of them, especially those in need. So look at Luke 14, 12. And Jesus also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You will be blessed, not only at the resurrection, but also in your own soul, in your own life. So here, our Lord was not directly speaking about giving the gospel, but he was speaking about when you give a luncheon or a dinner. And if you think about it, why? Like, why did he, why did he, why did he go there? Why wasn't he always talking about giving the gospel? We'll get to that in a minute. But he's talking about giving a luncheon or a dinner to people. He's talking about real food. He's talking about real uh, physical sustenance and help. Uh, really helping those that are less fortunate, those that are suffering in some area of their lives. And that is a show of unconditional, impartial love. Not when you invite your friends to dinner. When you invite the less accepted, when you invite those that you don't necessarily know very well, when you invite those that are poor, crippled, lame, blind. That's impartial love. And that display opens the hearts of men. It, it, it can't help. You know, love is so powerful. It can't help but do something to people when you actually live in it. God's love is supernatural. And people will be like, what are you doing and why are you doing this? People will sometimes even be in tears. At, why are you treating me so nicely? You don't even know me. Um, look at me. I'm ugly. Whatever they say about their own condition. And that impartial, unconditional love opens men's hearts and therefore opens a door to sharing the gospel. What do we say on Sunday? You could love someone this way. You could bring them in. You know, put them on, bring them under your wing or whatever, feed them, clothe them, whatever they really need, and not say a word. And eventually they might ask you, you know, why are you doing this? And you can say one word, Christ. And if that's all you're led to say, you just gave them the gospel, really. I mean, talk about a lot to think about. How much do you, how much do you take people's words more uh, seriously when they, they say less? You ever notice that? If someone is a man of few words, you kind of listen to every word they say. So that's just an example. But you literally don't have to be some eloquent gospel giver and, and have that even be the first thing that you're doing in giving the gospel. It's loving them in this way as the Lord gave us this example. So think about this. Why do you think the Lord and his disciples fed so many people in their journeys? And why did they heal so many people? Why weren't they always just going out on the mountain and preaching the gospel? 
and that was it. You know, after all, I mean, that's what saves, right? I mean, the good news, right? Why so much of feeding and healing? Was it to show and maybe prove the love that God has for us? There's nothing more powerful than an illustration. Was it to show and prove the love God has for us? To open up the hearts of men so that they would listen to the gospel. So regarding showing the love of God, we know the doubting hearts we as human beings can have. And the Lord knew our weakness. So in grace, he quote-unquote fed us what we needed to open our hearts to the love of God. And he probably did that for each of us in a different way. <clears throat> Maybe it was literal food. Maybe it was a literal provision when you were at the end of your rope. But whatever it is, he knows our weakness. He knows how stubborn we are. So he's like, let me just show you how much I love you. So I can soften that hard heart of yours. So in grace, he fed us what we each needed to open our hearts to his love. And we can do the same for others. Why not follow his example? And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where I think like it's almost like true gospel preaching comes in. It's an action. It's not a word, you know. So again, on the board, showing the love of God, we know the doubting hearts we as human beings can have. And the Lord knew our weakness and in grace fed us what we needed to open our hearts to the love of God. And we can do the same for others. We're an extension we're his hands and his feet, as long as our hearts are right. The Lord even said about his sheep that they fed him and visited him in prison. True believers are known by their acts of love, and unbelievers, regardless of what they might say, are known by their lack of loving others. And that's what we see throughout the whole of Scripture. So go to Matthew 25 as a primary il illustration. Matthew 25, 31. The Lord even said about his sheep that they fed him and visited him in prison. So how important is it to the Lord to actually feed somebody in need or visit those that are suffering? And this is how true believers are known um, and, and even unbelievers are known. By their fruit. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Now what do the Lord's sheep do? Well, let's see. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The Lord will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, and he's talking to the sheep, Truly I say to you, my sheep, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So there's just an illustration of how sheep act, his sheep act, if you're one of his. And in verse 41, we see an illustration of the goats. Those who might look like sheep or say they're sheep, but they're not, they're goats. He will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now we've been over this before. A man, of course, is not saved by these good works. A man is saved by grace through faith in Christ. But a man of faith, someone who really actually does accept Christ, will have these types of good works. Why? Because his heart has been changed. If someone submits to Christ as Lord and Savior, trust in him from the heart, their heart will be changed. And a changed heart can't help but do these things. A changed heart can't help but love others because he understands the love he's been shown by grace. So that's why this whole description in Matthew 25, which used to confuse me a bit, honestly, but makes a lot of sense to me now. A man of faith who is really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll have these kind of works because his heart's been changed. It's like inevitable. And remember, the Lord said his sheep will follow him in John 10:27 on the board. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. It's what they do, because they really have believed. But back to showing the love of God as part of giving the gospel. We're really following the Lord's example and the disciples' example, showing the love of God in helping those that are in need and then giving the gospel. Maybe sometimes not even verbally. So for some of us, this is a change of perspective. In reality, this is a heart issue. And we saw on Sunday, God really wants to change our perspective about a lot of things. But right now we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the way we look at things in life, what's really important, and what real blessings are in life. He wants to help us see things how Christ sees things and therefore be set free from our own bondage, from the bondage of living for self, for example. 
and realizing it's a dead-end road. He wants to free us from that, but it takes a change perspective first. So he's been working on us from Sunday even to this message now in terms of uh, looking at time, how we look at time. We're going to do a quick review on that again. But God wants to change our perspective and show us what's really important and what real blessings look like. He wants us to desire the things he wants because he knows that is where true life resides and that will give us true happiness. And we saw on Sunday, one of the things we should desire is to become a partaker of the gospel like the Apostle Paul desired. And that leads to true joy and blessing. We saw on Sunday in 1 Corinthians 9, 23, Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And we saw the Greek word for fellow partaker is co-participant. Oh, that's what it means, co-participant. Paul realized he had an opportunity in front of him, that God was allowing him to serve him, even after all Paul had done and after all Paul was saved from. Paul realized he had an opportunity to serve his master. It's pretty clear Paul didn't want time to pass by and that he would miss out on being a partaker of the gospel. And that's what we saw in context on Sunday. We saw the race is actually to win others. It's not to be a spiritual giant, etc. You'll become a spiritual giant. You'll become spiritually mature by living in the gospel reality, by trying to win others. Live your life that way, where you want to be like or relate to somebody else, whatever seat they're in. The race to win others giving the gospel in whatever ways we can is a vital part of running the race set before us. So feel free to read that. We're not going to do it again, but read that in context. It really is kind of eye-opening. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. Context is key. The spiritual race we are called to run includes becoming a co-participant in Christ's commission before time passes us by. And in a way, it truly is a race against time. It's not a bad way to put it. You've only got so much time allotted to you. you don't, we don't know how much for each of us, but we only have so much allotted to us. How will we utilize that time? God wants to change our perspective regarding time and helping us use it for the gospel. The Spirit really hit us over the head on Sunday with this. I don't know about you, but it seemed like a lot. Uh, regarding our time, in quotations, as though, though it really were ours, right? Have you ever wondered why the culture in America often talks about pastimes? Do you realize we Americans have been duped into looking for selfish ways to pass the time? If you're honest, we're usually thinking about ourselves and how we can satisfy or make ourselves more comfortable. We use baseball as an example, how they call it America's pastime. And there's no you know, offense in that, of course, if you like baseball, that's fine. But why does our culture encourage us to pass the time on things that are not actually important to God? Just think about why, I mean, seriously. 
why are we so uh, trained, even pushed, to pass the time with hobbies, with adventurous things, right? Now all the, all the younger people, it's about um, an adrenaline rush, right? It's like climbing the, the rock, the mountainside walls or whatever. Um, it's uh, skydiving. It's, um, they get some crazy things on actually see on TV sometimes. But why, why these things? Why this push to do these things and occupy yourself that way with something unimportant to God, your creator? Maybe just maybe it's the system that we're in. So instead of passing the time, how about using the time for the gospel? We are new creatures in Christ, and God wants us to be set free. He wants us to have his perspective. Use the time for the gospel while you still have time. Time can either be on our side or we can be used by time. It's kind of like money, the same way. We can either use money for God's purposes or we can be used by money and controlled by money. Well, it's the same thing with time, I think. Time can either be on our side or we can be used by it, wasting it away forever. We can never get it back. But we are new creatures in Christ. We have a calling. We can make our time count for all eternity. We can do things that God says, I'm going to put it in this category. Okay, like in Luke 14, when you, when you feed those in need, right? I'm going to put it in this category. You'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. We actually can do that with our time. Eternal value. And we actually have a wonderful purpose along the way. So whose perspective do you have? If God created us and designed us for a certain purpose, for his glory, does he want our lifestyle to be one of using time for ourselves? I think we know the answer to that. And this is a more important question. Could it be Satan's deception as the God of this world to get us to waste our spiritual lives away so that we don't become a partaker in the gospel? Not much of a greater casualty for a believer to live his life, his whole life through and not become a partaker of the gospel at all. That's a big, that's the, you know, I don't want to say the biggest, okay, but when we get to heaven, that's going to be one of the regrets we have if we don't become a partaker of the gospel. So ask yourself, what do you think is going on in this world? Step back. What's going on? Don't just accept what is going on for the way of life and how it normally should be. Do you recognize the system that's in place that's been built to deceive us? We've been inculcated since childhood and institutionalized to accept ways of wasting our time, really, ultimately, on self. And in essence, we've been brainwashed by the system. So it doesn't matter what it is, and there's nothing wrong with certain things like sports or hobbies, games, movies, whatever you know you like to do. There's nothing wrong with that. It's if you've become consumed by it, right? If it's a treat, that's awesome. Could be a nice blessing of God for you. But when you are consumed by something every day, hours a day, with something that really is not important to God whatsoever, you have to ask yourself, what's my perspective? 
Am I looking at things the wrong way? And more importantly, are they blocking out our opportunity to live for God's purposes? Remember the blinders? You know, am I willingly keeping these blinders on and just looking at what I like? If you ever played video games, you know how entrancing that can get. And that's why I actually won't even play, even though they're so well done these days, like as far as quality. I won't even, I don't even want to go there because they're so, um, you know, captivating, if you will. And when someone plays a video game, they can stare at that screen for hours and hours. Right? And it's, it's quote-unquote enjoyment. It's a temporary enjoyment. It at least escapes you from the realities of the world, right? Hmm. Maybe, just maybe, exactly what Satan wants to do with those types of things. All right. I won't go into my uh, cable story again from Sunday. <laughs> You can listen again. But as that example, you remember how the Lord stopped me from actually getting that thing I wanted. He stopped me, and now as a result of that, I'm able to live in my calling. And I couldn't see it right away. Why? It didn't seem like a big deal at all. And now a year later, I can see why. God wants to rescue us from being consumed by the things in this world even good things that seem to be innocent. Even a good thing can be evil when you put it above God. We know that. You can idolize your family. You can idolize a child. You can idolize something good, even a a healthy sport, whatever. And then it seems good, it seems innocent, but then all of a sudden you're consumed before you know it. God wants to rescue us from being consumed. And if we remain humble and we keep praying and we keep communication open, he's going to rescue us from ourselves, from our own things that we think are okay, but we're just overdoing or we're just allowing ourselves to be consumed by. He doesn't want us to be consumed by anything that will block his mission for us, to be a partaker of the gospel. And he knows we'll have all eternity to thank him for it, by the way. He's probably in heaven going to be like, Scott, you can watch all the baseball you want now. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll be playing in perfect bodies. That'll be a lot of fun. Actually, be good this time. But seriously, like time is so short. He's like, I don't want you to waste it. I don't want you to waste it. We're going to be thanking him for all eternity for the things that he said no to, despite what our flesh might desire. So whose perspective do you have? When something takes over your lifestyle that has nothing to do with God or his gospel, What do you think about that? That's your perspective. What do you think about that? What's your view on that? Is it okay? Maybe you thought it was okay, and now you're saying maybe it isn't. Good. Awesome. But if something takes over your lifestyle, that's when we have to pray and examine ourselves and ask God to open our eyes and our hearts. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 6 again. This is where we left off on Sunday. Getting a little warm up here. Anybody warm out there? It's the uh, tanning booth lights we have up here. <laughs> I think Pastor just wants a tan on his head there or something. Ephesians 5 6. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers, the same Greek word that means co-participant. Do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is people living like they're dead. Captivated with living for self totally ignoring God's plan for their life. Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live, right? A righteous man shall live by faith. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So again, awake sleeper. If this applies to you, awesome. Be humble and accept it. Awake sleeper. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Because you can't ever get them back and you get no do-overs. You only have so much time. The race is against time. You only have so much time you're given to make it worth eternal value, to bring God glory before we're up there, face to face. I mean, it's going to be like this, people. You know, right now, sometimes life seems really long, you know, and you're going through, through hard things, but it's going to be like this. And one day, we're all going to be up there, and this opportunity is fleeting. It's gone like the vapor in, in the wind, you know. So we can't ever get yesterday back. Go to Romans 13, verse 11. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. And this has everything to do with giving the gospel. Romans 13, 11. Do this, and in context it's talking about loving your neighbor. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Do this. Love your neighbor. Maybe that's related to giving the gospel again, huh? Loving somebody. Doesn't have to be, <laughs> you know, pulling them aside and making them listen. Love your neighbor. Because that is going to bring out the gospel. That is going to open people's hearts and minds and eyes to Christ in you. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. So love your neighbor before it's too late and you lose the opportunity. Your literal neighbor might be hurting so much right now, but you refuse to talk to them. I don't know who that might apply to, but have you ever 
stepped out by faith and spoken to someone and had no idea what they were going through, and you were so thankful to God that he gave you the courage to talk to them because you really were able to change their life or maybe even give them the gospel, but you had no idea. Opportunities are even fleeting. Love your neighbor while you have the opportunity. Go to Colossians 4, verse 5. I mean, what are we here for? We're here to be a light to the world, aren't we? We're here to be a light to the world. That means outsiders. That means unbelievers. Colossians 4, 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Who do you invite to the luncheon or the dinner? Outsiders. Making the most of the opportunity. Listen, your friends already know you. Hopefully they're all saved. Your family already knows you. They're not going to listen to you anyway, probably with the gospel. Right? We all know that. They already know you. They might already be taken care of. They might not have needs. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Those are the big opportunities that God wants us to tend to, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Outsiders. Guess what? You're not going to have too many opportunities with outsiders if you stay on the couch. Sorry to tell you. The Spirit is saying, will you let your opportunity pass you by? We're not all called to be evangelists in the sense of you know, having that gift, in the sense of going out in the streets, let's say. But we're all called to do something related to others, related to the gospel. There's a Christian song called Burn Baby Burn by Mercy Me. And one major line in the song says, Now is your turn to shine. Or now is your turn to burn. Burn, baby, burn, right? While you have the opportunity, now is your turn to burn. So on the board, think about this perspective. It's your turn right now. It really is. I mean, life seems long sometimes, but this is it. This is your one chance. It's your turn right now. Have you ever thought about life that way? Think of the big picture. Step back. Right now, it's your turn on the earth. Thousands of years of human history. Right now, this little segment is your turn on the earth. Your chance. We only come this way once. Your great-grandfather's turn, for example, is over. The apostle's turn, as fabulous as it was, is over. Never to come again. Moses, David, Isaiah, their turns are over. Done. Right? I'm sure when they were going through life, it didn't seem that fast sometimes, and they went through a lot of suffering. Their turn, their opportunity is over. But right now, it's your turn and my turn. Will you let your turn pass you by without being useful to the master? especially in regards to becoming a partaker in the gospel. A different perspective. You may not be ready to go out in certain ways, 
and spread the gospel, and that's fine. And God is so patient with each one of us. So, so, so patient. I mean, even myself having the gift of evangelists, he's been so patient with me. He, you know, he hasn't <laughs> whipped me out into the streets. For years, he's been patient. He's been training me. He's been bringing along, despite my flesh getting in the way. And, you know, and, until I'm ready to do a certain thing. But he's so patient, and he's that way with each and every one of us. So sit back and relax and be open to the fact that maybe right now the Lord is trying to change your perspective. He's trying to get you to look at it this way on the board. Instead of looking at life the, the way we normally do, as a long, drab, challenging, oh, I can't take this anymore, whatever your perspective has been. It's your turn. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to spin the wheel? Or are you just going to sit there and sulk? The fact of the matter is we only get one turn in life. Don't just try to pass the time. Instead, use the time. Look up and ask the Lord each and every day, what can I do for you today? My life is actually your life. I know that. It's not my own life. What can I do for you today? And then really listen. There's a concept, right? Really listen. Sincerely ask him to show you and guide you into what he wants you to do. Not just lip service, right? That would be silliness. God looks at the heart. So humble yourself, right? Get in prayer and be like, Lord, all right, what do you want me to do? I'd love to be used in some way for the gospel or for the kingdom. And I'm sure your father in heaven would love to hear that question. What father doesn't like to hear his child surrender that way and to his authority? Honor him in that way, right? Father, what do you want me to do? So, maybe you call someone that's an outcast or down and out and invite them over for a baseball game. Why not? Is baseball evil? No. It's obviously not evil. How about using the things that maybe you even enjoy to bring people in? You see, it's all back to our heart. What's your intent when you invite someone over for the baseball game? <laughs> we can play a lot of games with this, couldn't we? I'm going to pretend I'm inviting someone over for the gospel, but I'm just going to watch the game and ignore them. Way to go. Or is the intent like, all right, Lord, I'm not going to be a slave to this thing. I'm going to use it for other people's benefit. I'm going to invite that guy over. Maybe I really don't like very much. Whatever. And let him know that I, I care and that he needs God you know, in some way. But instead of giving the gospel, I'm going to invite him over and show him love. I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to let him see Christ loving me. I'm going to let it, allow it to shine. And then maybe, just maybe, the gospel will come up. Maybe not even that day, but the love of Christ will shine through. That's using time wisely, living for others, the very reason Christ came to earth. And if we do that, we'll be blessed. One of the other ways that you'll be blessed, talking about reaping what you sow, is this. A great relief when you actually live for others 
you're relieved from being occupied with yourself. Amen, somebody? I mean, don't you get tired of being occupied with yourself and falling into self-pity again? But this is another blessing. You will be blessed if you do those things. And it's, it actually is, again, exciting instead of boring. Life is exciting instead of boring. And you can enjoy the relief from being set free from looking at yourself. But it only comes when you live for others. It only comes when you do it. In whatever form or shape God leads that to be. The only way we can be relieved of that thing called self-pity, for example, is to live for God and others. Live. Live. It's the only way to snap out of that realm of thinking. And this is another reason it's more blessed to give than to receive. Go to Ephesians 6, verse 13. The Spirit's telling us, wake up while there's still time to be used for God's glory. Snap out of whatever it is, let go. We are to stop sleeping and put on the armor of God so that we'll be prepared for every gospel opportunity. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's really what we're doing now, right? Like the mass unit, we're coming back to regroup and strengthen, right? And to heal up a little bit and get the word in our souls. Same thing when we read our Bibles. Gird your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, the gospel, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice the perspective of a good soldier of Christ. He takes up the armor. He stands firm. He's doing all these things mentioned here even regarding salvation and the gospel, so that he can live by faith. He can go out and make disciples. Why else, really, honestly, are we here? The righteous man will live by faith. And notice in this passage how the gospel itself is intimately tied into living by faith as a good soldier. So as we close tonight, uh, let's do a little reminder about the Great Commission. Go to Matthew 28 first, verse 18. There's little doubt that one of our main purposes from God in this life is living in the Great Commission. In some way, shape, or form, 
You may not necessarily be on the front line, so to speak. But remember in the book of Acts, when they were traveling about, they, they, had, the, they had little groups. They had little groups. It wasn't just Paul and, and Silas or Paul and Barnabas. They had others with them. Like Luke, who in, in the book of Acts, I think this came out at the Bible study a couple weeks ago, right in the middle of the book of Acts, you start seeing this we language. You know, we went here, we went there, but it wasn't Paul writing. It was Luke. So Luke was with them on this journey, even though he wasn't the one doing the speaking, apparently. So we, we can participate in the Great Commission in a multitude of ways. In Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're familiar with that version of the Great Commission, right? Pretty familiar. And we're told to go out and make disciples. Go to Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Speaking of Luke, who, you know, was writing Acts. Look what he records in Luke 24:45. This is really another version of the Great Commission. Then he, talking about Jesus after his resurrection, by the way, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Go out and be witnesses of these things. Again, in verse 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So clearly that's a big part of why we're here. Go to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. A little bit more about perspective on making the most of our time. And how we should look at even the blessings in our lives. Because they're all temporary in this world. 1 Corinthians 7.29 But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Is he saying, leave your wife? No. Is he saying, get a divorce? No. He's saying, what's your perspective? How do you look at it? This is how I want you to look at it. Live your life as though you had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they, they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. That's a godly perspective. Is that our perspective? None of us perfectly. I think it's fair to say. 
And if that perspective is foreign to you, well, let, read it again. You know, the time has been shortened. From now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. In other words, whatever you have and whatever you are buying into in the world, whatever takes your time, be as though you have none. The world is passing away. Live for the gospel. One other thing as we close that the Spirit's been hitting me with, and I mentioned this earlier, but just to put it on the board, giving the gospel should simply be part of our lifestyles as believers. It's who we are and it's what we do. There's your happy little evangelist on the board too. It's, it's who we are and it's what we do. It's like we separate it from the rest of our lives. You know, we coordinate off and say, okay, this is my time to go do it now. And, you know, I'm not feeling like it, but now I have to, whatever, get up for it or, no, 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 no. Like that's the wrong perspective. It's who we are and it's what we do, given the gospel. Going out and sharing the good news, by the way, the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more fun it gets. The less you care what people say in response. The less you care about being ready with 100 scriptures to back it up in case they ask you something. That's a bunch of bull. Where Satan tries to get us to live in fear. Who cares what they say back? You can get the answer later if you want. Give them the good news. That's it. Give them the good news. Let the Spirit do the job in their souls. Giving the gospel should be part of our lifestyles as believers. It's who we are and it's what we do. It's really that simple. And as we change our perspective to that, the gospel becomes us. And then we have the privilege of becoming a partaker in the gospel instead of letting life just whisk away. Before you know it, you're on your dying bed and you're like, oh, why didn't I obey? The gospel becomes us if we're humble. And then we become partakers in the gospel. And that's where freedom and joy really lies, and that's fulfilling our calling and our purpose. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much again for the privilege, the opportunity to gather together and to be re-energized, retaught some things, and to see things from your perspective. Help us, Father, remain humble and ponder these things. Help us look at time and life differently than we've ever looked at it. Help us realize our true purpose and calling is the gospel in some way, shape, or form. Help us to become a partaker in it before time passes us by. Father, we ask that you help us take the good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen.